I'm fucking you. It's like nothing else matters. Maybe we'll reach down between my legs. ITR 101.9 FM Ink Studs. Uh, my guest today is Mr. Mike Dawson. Um, his latest book is Ace Face. And I gotta say this now. I keep wanting to say Ass Face. Oh, really? I, I don't know. It's like ace, Ass Face. So, But it's Ace Face. It's just the whole roll of the tongue thing. Um, well, that, that is an unfortunate thing. I guess it did not. You know, I actually think probably a lot of people are gonna have that. Do you got that comic ass face? I didn't really think about that. Well, because I did this because uh, it's a Who reference. It's a reference to Quadrophenia. Oh. The character in Quadrophenia called was played by Sting in the movie. Um, see, I didn't see Quadrophenia. He's the ace face, like he's like the you know the 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 leader of the mods. And um, he is a mod hero. Yeah. Well, ace I guess face. so. He, the uh, protagonist. I mean, have you seen Quadrophenia or no? No. I think the quadru- in the protagonist does not like Sting. Or maybe he does. I can't remember now. I think maybe whatever. He's getting on topic. <laughs> anyway, I named no, him that's after fine. Because <laughs> the first story in the book um, is sort of very much like a, an homage to Quadrophenia. Um. So, as you're saying, Ace Face, and we'll, we'll we'll get really in depth with that. Is your your latest thing, and I, that's coming out. When's that coming out? Very I soon. I believe right at the end of April. Right at so, the end of uh, April. Yeah. Okay. And um, so you can check it out at hopefully good comic stores, and if they don't have it. Go to a different comic store. <laughs> uh, track it down. Track it down. Um, Ad House Books is the the folks putting out, and I, I like uh, I like what Ad House does. For the yeah, Ad House is great. I was really very excited to be putting a book out with with Chris Bitzer. So why don't we talk about the the roots of Ace Face? Carefully say that from now on. Um, I guess it started out in the uh, Project Superior. Yes, that mid- is. Uh, that's where I did the, the Project Superior um, anthology, which I'm not sure. Did you ever, did you ever see that? It was, I've got it in my hand. Because it has been out of print. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that the, the story that I just mentioned, the Quadrophenia one, um, appeared in um, Project Superior. Um, to go back a little ways, like most cartoonists, I had characters that were my own sort of superhero characters that I drew stories about when I was in high school and stuff like that. And Ace Face... Um, was a character that I had at that time um, just in the terms that it was a guy with the metal arms mm-hmm. and the origin story of him being a baby with large metal arms was basically the only element that I brought over into these new stories um, but so when I when I did the story for Project Superior which at the time was I 
pretty much my first published like story. Oh, okay. Um, like I took that since it was a superhero thing, and since I had like a superhero, you know, f- you know, from from years back, I sort of I, I took gave it this whole new mod angle, this '60s Britain British thing, um, and that's that's how I got going with that. And then I just keep I've kept like just writing new stories, um, which are now also featured in that collection. Now is the character? I, I have a feeling when I finish the book that we're not done with Ace Face. I feel like we might be done with Ace Face. Really? Yeah. Because no. uh, I, I feel like, um, in terms of writing a superhero story, mm-hmm. like I'm not sure that I have a lot more to say. Um, what I, I think I really like, I what my main interest is um, when I, when I'm trying to write superhero stories, especially featuring featuring Ace Face, is I'm, I'm writing stuff about like uh, violence, like comic book violence, and like sort of masculinity. Um, I'm not sure if you got this, but the, like to me, it's like you know, like they have a part. There's a part in the second story where there's like a big fight in the street, and it's like all clumsy and you know, awkward, just like a real fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, shirts get pulled off, and, you know, <laughs> which is basically the, exactly like how any fight that I've ever been in in my life has gone, which is only like two. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing, not like a real sort of superhero fight where like you know it's all cool and people go down with a smash and stuff like that. The it's cosmic like spectacular. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you fight. I don't know if your fights are more like a superhero fight. But um, <laughs> unfortunately, my gauntlets of infinite power um, have been working in a while, so... Okay, so you've I'm, been having trouble? I've been having trouble. I've been getting my ass kicked. Yeah. It, it, I do feel it's kind of like a humanist uh, look at superheroes in that kind of... I guess kind of opposite of a Ditko-esque way, but looking at as just people and uh, kind of dealing with the uh, moral ambiguities yeah. of uh, their actions. One way to put it, maybe. Well, I would be, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, in the third story, there's three main Ace Face stories. So in the third one, I, I tried to do like a very straight-up superhero story with Ace Face, and that's set in the past. With mm-hmm. like running with a team, which I sort of based on my vague notion of what Batman and the Outsiders was like. I never really read that comic, but <laughs> that was my idea. It was like Ace Face and the U.S. Outcasts, and it's like just some adventure they're on. Um, but that's interspersed with a present-day story about Ace Face's son um, having his own issues, like uh, dealing with uh, altercations uh, and you know disagreements, but in sort of a very different way. Very. I know the book's not out yet, so it's sort of weird to talk about. <laughs> It'll be out soon, without yeah. giving too much out away. Well, it's it's interesting. Like I, I really enjoyed that you created that kind of juxtaposition with the uh, stuff of the past and the sun, and it kind of, and that's what I was saying. Like how it's not like a standardized alternative cartoonist doing yeah. a superhero thing, where with like something like Jeffrey Brown, um, where his stuff is just you know silly out there, riotous, you know whatever, having fun. Yeah. Um, or you look at, like, the um, bizarre Well, as we were books. saying before the, before the interview, like, that big head, the Sulk. Um, yeah. Sulk, number one, I sort of think he really hit a different way of, uh, of an alternative take on superhero uh, things, which is really just, it's just fun and funny. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that he, he did really well um, with that. But, like, but a, lot of, a lot of the Bizarro stuff, they kind of, it's all about taking the characters down a peg. Yeah, you probably don't read that many um, mainstream uh, superhero comics. 
Oh, you do now? <laughs> are you? Are you <laughs> I uh, actually haven't been reading a ton of it, but I get the impression that like it's almost like some of the stuff they put out these days is practically alternative itself. Like it's, you know, it's all. Some of it's more sophisticated than any of the stuff I ever used to read. Some of it's more sophisticated, and some of it's just the same old trash. Okay. Like, I don't know, and that's something that, like, I enjoy stuff like Garth Ennis, who, like, really deconstructs and humiliates the heroes. Yeah. But I also enjoy, like, I was saying, like, that humanist look at what these people are going through. And, I don't know, I think there's different takes yeah. to be had. I just picked up that All-Star Superman collection. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it was really good. Um, and Yeah, so that was, I mean, I felt like I didn't realize that you could write a Superman story that was so entertaining, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they did, and it was it was really a nice read. Who thought they could make a good Superman story? Well, I just, yeah, because I don't think he's a very good, uh, like, interesting character. No. That's why his movies are so boring. Um, I, 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 I said it, agree. I don't care. I, I, you know, the only good Superman story other than that one is the one Alan Moore did, which wasn't really a Superman story in some ways. Um... What happened to Superman? And kind of oh, which one was that? The was it like what happened to the Man of Tomorrow? Or yeah, something? yeah, I haven't read that. That's good. Um, and that, and that's all you need for Superman. Okay, so I'll, if I get that, then I'm done. I can, You're done. I yeah. can consider myself finished. Pretty much, unless something new comes. Oh, actually, you know what's really good is uh, Steve Siegel's uh, "It's a Bird." Oh, that's the actual book with the uh, no pictures in it. No, it's um, oh, no, okay, Steve Siegel and Teddy Christensen. And it's Steve Siegel dealing with taking on writing Superman, which is a character that he grew up loving, at the same time dealing with his own Crohn's disease. It is this odd, right. like it's it's wonderful. If you've ever read uh, his, like it's weird. Like Steve Siegel's one of those comic writers who, like, he'll do this incredible work, and then he'll do a whole bunch of crap. Okay, and so it's like. This is one of those incredible pieces, and then he'll go and do a run on the X Men. Oh, okay. All right. So, but uh, you you recommend I get the? Uh, it's a bird, or at least get it from the library. Well, so anyway, so I mean, I guess yeah, that's X-Face. why I'm saying that I don't think I would continue necessarily with a space things because I feel like I had something specific in mind for these stories, but just to do like an alternative quote unquote take on a superhero, I'm not sure there's necessarily like things that need to be said, or you know, I don't feel that we need to take them down a peg or two yeah. anymore. You know, like, they're down their pegs. They've been taken down those pegs. <laughs> they're down. <laughs> They've fine. taken themselves down. <laughs> and I actually, I feel kind of weird saying, they think about, like, saying the alternative take on superheroes because, I don't know, in one way it's all a comics continuum and it can be a superhero comic without having to say it's an alternative take, so... Well, that's why I'm yeah. stuck you on know, semantics. You'll, you'll rewind the tape and I say, quote-unquote, alter- yeah. alternative? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so maybe I'm just agree I agree with you because <laughs> you know I mean I don't I don't I used to be very militant you know indie comics you know are great and mainstream sucks or whatever but I, I do I agree with you it's sort of if you're saying that there is sort of a continuum of like you know quality work kind of across mm. the board like I think you know as much there there's a lot of alternative crap there's a lot of shit you know, every genre has good stuff, and every genre has crap, and so it's all just, to me, it's a matter of uh, finding the continuum of what you enjoy, yeah. maybe is what I'm saying. On that note, what kind of superhero stuff did you grow up with? 
Um, so I started uh, when I first began reading like uh, action superhero type comics. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the Transformers, um, the British version of the Transformers, <laughs> uh, which was slightly different than the American ver- comic series. What did they they transform into like mini cabs and yeah they transform into those red po- uh, mailboxes and like policemen's hats and <laughs> stuff like that those, <laughs> those uh, pointy ones and uh, and scones <laughs> no they um I mean it was it was it was some of the same stories but they basically just had a different set of artists and writers mm-hmm. on certain parts of the run which so there were different storylines happening in Marvel UK uh, and in the back of those. Um, Magazines. They used to come out like in magazine size. They came out weekly. Yeah. Um, they would reprint older Marvel stuff. So I read the Mike Mignola Rocket Raccoon limited series as one of the first things I read. Um, the Barry Windsor Smith Machine Man limited series. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, That's that was, I think that was a big influence on me in a lot of ways. I really, really loved that. Um, I didn't really I, and, and then for a very long time, I couldn't, like, I hated the look of the Jack Kirby Machine Man. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, I guess I was just really into Barry Windsor Smith. Um, and then, I guess in the 85, 86, they printed the um, Secret Wars uh, series over in the UK. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started to learn about things like Iron Man and stuff like that. Um, but I guess I was really a Marvel kid for most, you know, the end of my childhood and on through my teenage years. And then I attempted a Superman phase in college. Which and that's why I say with authority that Superman is boring. <laughs> <laughs> but I gave him, I gave him a chance. You know what? And good for you. Good <laughs> for I you. I really gave it a chance. Um, but yeah, I mean, so people I really liked maybe would have been John Byrne, uh, Walt Simonson, um, Chris Claremont, and Barry, uh, Barry Windsor Smith, and Alan Davis is probably one of my biggest like, and fanboy. Fan no, Alan Davis, but you didn't read his uh, Batman and the Outsiders. I never did read that, no. And I guess I didn't realize that he worked on that until you just said it just now. But yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> he worked I read that. his Excalibur, which is probably, that's probably my favorite uh, Marvel series. Um, you know, came out at the right time for me. I was the right age. I had a big, a big impression. Oh, I, I think Alan Davis is awesome. Like, as far as, like, you want to look at some great mainstream cartooning, yeah. like, I really like his, uh, The Clandestine. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. that. I enjoyed that quite a bit. It was fun stuff. Um, but not that Batman and the Outsiders. I have no use for that, <laughs> apparently. That's okay. I'm a, I'm a Batman fanatic, and I've never read Batman and the Outsiders. Okay. Yeah. Well, all I got from it was the name. I don't really know what the <laughs> <laughs> anything about it. It's just, it's just that it's funny, Ace Face and the U.S. Outcast. You, you don't really have a problem with them. No, I don't. No. I don't. I'm okay with them.
Now, Ace Face, after you did it in the uh, Project Superior, I guess you first tried out as a webcomic or your own just little... No, kinda. so as a character, when I was in high school, I, I was first discovering self-publishing. It was like my character. And every other cartoonist I know has had like their whatever teenage character, their own sort of superhero, whatever. I know, I think I even read that Jeffrey Brown's big head was his character from when mm-hmm. he was like a teenager. And I know my friend Alex Robinson, he brought, I don't know if you read Box Office Poison, mm-hmm. he brought his character Night Stalker, which is his teenage character, into that plot. Like, so I guess everyone likes to recycle the, you know, because maybe, maybe there's something wonderful about finally seeing that character in print, mm-hmm. you know, that you worked on when you're when you're a teenager, just with your dreams of being published <laughs> by Marvel. Because I'm really excited about it. I'm really very, like, um, Ace Face uh, just got, like, a very, very small mention in Wiz- Wizard Magazine a month or two ago, just as, like, a book to look out for. Mm-hmm. And for me, having, at the time I was first created him, I was reading a lot of Wizard Magazine, you know, so that was kind of neat. That was a high-five moment. Yeah, kind of. I basically was able to tell one friend. It was, you know, the, the excitement was sort of lost on my wife. Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What's with that cover on the magazine? But anyway, so I, uh, I keep going off on tangents, but... No, it's um, So I, wor- I kind of actually sort of worked my way into Project Superior. I heard about it, and I was... I sort of needled my way into it. Because at the time, all I'd done was some self-publishing of um, a humor series called Gobble Ghoul and a few other self-published things. Um, so I got in that, but I actually felt pretty good because I think I, I got some pretty good feedback on the story I had in that, in that anthology. And I got to know Chris Pitzer through that, and then he let me draw another Ace Face story for uh, the Superior Showcase number one. Oh, okay. Um, which is also included in this Ace Face collection, which is it's Ace Face versus the target. And it's when Ace Face is older and he works at a, at a university teaching history and he runs into a troublesome student. Um, but that, so that was published, and that was, uh, yeah, so that was, that came out, I guess. That was my first time having my name on the cover of anything. <laughs> I don't know, I, this whole interview is going to be my great moments. That's okay. It's, it, <laughs> moments Mike, that excited me. This is your chance to shine. <laughs> and, they, and then it ended with being on the ink stud. <laughs> and then from there, everyone heard. I finally yeah. made it. <laughs> I don't think we're very special, but you're uh, special. Thanks, thanks, Rob. <laughs> now, um, so the, you got pretty quick involved in getting stuff out. Then, like the Project Superior, that was what four years ago that came out. I think Project Superior came out in yeah 2005, maybe. Let's see. 2004. I'm just gonna look at the copyright date in there. 2005. Yep. And uh, which at the time it was a little bit of an explosion for the quote unquote alternative cartoonists doing superhero material. Mm-hmm. I think the Bizarros came out around then, and that's when Dan Klaus did his, his Death Ray story. And I think I think that was around the time that Peter Bag did that. Which did you do a Spider Man story or a you Hulk know what? Story? The, the Spider Man, the Hulk never got published. But um, they go all sort of happening then. So like yeah. it was sort of a I don't know some big wave of maybe that was the moment that all the people who were supposedly alternative finally felt like it was okay to draw the stuff they really wanted to draw well it's funny a lot of like maybe it was less of a stigma on it all of a sudden well I find that interesting like there is a certain stigma and disgust of uh, in some aspects towards mainstream comics I've seen and I, I kind of find it weird to make that differentiation um, 
if, if it's quality, it's quality. Yeah. Know. Well, you know what I think the problem is? I think it was something I read in an interview with the guy who wrote Why the Last Man, is that Brian K. Vaughn? Yeah. And he summed up basically what I think is wrong with most uh, mainstream superhero comics is they don't end. <laughs> you know, and he, and he made the point because he's talking about writing Why the Last Man, you know, being very consciously structured because the story isn't a story unless it ends. Yeah. You know, because if there's no arc, if it just is forever, you know, then it just sort of then it just sort of becomes repetitive, and and then all it is is like you know homages to past glories and deconstructing, and I don't know. And that's true. Like you're looking at these characters which have you know coming on 70 plus years well 70 years for some of story to them and it's like how far can you take this like are there any other characters that have outside of that medium that have such a lengthy (laughs) body of like you know maybe Jesus you know I guess so I I don't even know if there's that many pages in Jesus as there is on Batman we're waiting for that third act of Jesus there we go yeah, well, it's uh, now would be the way, time. More than way. Ever. You'll see, you'll see. Um, I think that what well, I another series that I enjoyed rec- in recent years was I read the first two or three collections of the Ultimates, mm-hmm. that Avengers. Yeah, and I really liked it. I thought I thought that it was the final word on like you know kick-ass, you know big brawl, uh, deconstructing like darker uh, superhero type stuff. But it got me thinking about, like, you know, part of what's appealing about it and, like, part of what they keep on doing, um, from my perspective, is just sort of rebooting and rebooting and, like, just telling the origin story over and over again. Yeah. Because I guess that's the best part. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it's the, you know, it can be, you know, that's what was good about the the All-Star Superman, which it didn't do that, and it could have easily have been just another... You know, like John Burns, Man of Steel, just like retell. Yeah. You know this legend once more. No, it, it, well, that one. I mean, it's going to be hard for anyone to really step up to what uh, Grant Morrison did with that story, and I think he uh, he set a high point. Yeah. In uh, in mainstream stuff, and I'm very excited about his uh, Batman and Robin story he's going to be doing. It makes me giggle with glee. Oh, does it? <laughs> So, uh, Jack and Max? Jack and Max is a... Uh, the follow-up? Yeah, so... Do you have a question, or should I just start talking about them? Well, are they in the, uh... Are they in the same universe as, uh... Ace Face? Um, not really. No. In fact, that's sort of, um... I'm writing... I wrote two short stories featuring these characters called Jack and Max. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are brothers... And they have superpowers. And in the two short stories, which are included in the Ace Facebook, um, it's essentially just stories about them fighting with each other. Um, but they have these powers, and they fight the way siblings fight, which is, I don't know, it's a never-ending source of amusement for me. Um, so I just sort of, like, I'm just running with it. With like, you know, they have these powers go, and here they are, like, fighting like brothers. And I'm doing a new story, a longer story, which I'm putting online, called Jack and Max Ex- Escape from the End of Time. I almost said X Cape. Um, <laughs> uh, you want to ask me another question? Yeah. Um, the Escape from the End of Time, and that is again like it's basically just like this is their world. Go, 
kind of like, and here's the plot. And that, while well, I've been putting it up for about eight weeks now, and I'm, I'm about at the point where I kind of feel like the plot is going to start to take shape and people are going to see where it's going. Mm-hmm. But I purposely just kind of want to avoid any sort of, you know, delving into origins of these two boys and, you know, universe building and stuff like that. You know, I guess sort of for some of the reasons we were talking about before, like I just want to write a story featuring these characters. I don't want to just sort of, you know, I don't want to do another. It's the origin of such and such kind of thing. Well, it seems it seems a lot more playful. I mean, the the Ace Face was pretty playful too. This seems more like um, it's just characters to have fun with and just put them in ridiculous situations. Yeah. And then Dad undoes it all. <laughs> I mean, I, and well, there's other things to it. Like as I said, like the plot is going to become more apparent because I what I want to do when I was writing Freddie and Me. Um, I, you know, which was autobiographical, and I, and for my own purposes, I took great pains to just basically tell things as closely as I could to the way things happened. I felt like I got, you know, uh, my share of negative feedback that you know, the, you know, that it didn't have, you know, a clear plot, you know, that it, you know, and the issues that many people complain about autobiography, you know, was sort of a meanderingness or anything. Neither which do I think Freddie Me has, but that would be what I heard <laughs> from some people. <laughs> um, but, well, but, so the thing with Jack and Max is I, perp- I really just want to try to do something which is almost all plot. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's, like it's going to be like very much just, just telling the, the events of a story like in, a, in, a, in an entertaining, humorous way. And I guess just sort of to try to flex that writing muscle which I guess I you know I I, I, try, I think I use in a different way on Freddie and me because I mm. disagree that there was no shaping of the story because um, I, I, I feel like I work pretty hard to, <laughs> to create a story with that but uh, so that's also what I'm doing there um, with Jack and Max so it should feel very different I think it does than, than Freddie and me are you enjoying working in color I do um, you know I've been doing a few you know I think you could tell that I, you know, that I'm I'm okay with Photoshop. I'm not whiz, so like some of my effects are, you know, I try to avoid filters, you know. But I, you know, you, I'll, I I won't shy away from a gradient. I, I like I like playing around with it, and in fact, the whole thing I really just like being very playful with it. Yeah. Like each page, just trying to come up with something in it that is either amusing to me or I think is, you know, just like a clever little thing to put in. I enjoy seeing the color because there's a certain part of me that gets kind of sick of, and it's not the person of black and white stuff, so it's nice to see. Yeah. You know. Well, the other pop. thing was I decided to put it online. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to make it in color because I personally don't love reading comics online. So I'm trying to do something that I think is something that I, as a reader, wouldn't mind looking at online. You know, it's it moves quickly, the panels are, are open, and, you know, it's colorful. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if you're a big online comics reader. I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not either. But it's. Uh, I don't think we can fight the future. I think we have. To. I, know, I see. For me, like when I'm at the computer, I'm doing something else. Okay. Like it's always for school or for work okay, or something. I thought we were going to get confessional here. So. <laughs> well, you see, I read one <laughs> online comic and it had yeah. these dinosaurs and they made me cry. They scared okay. me. <laughs> You don't go to read your comics online. You, you no. read your comics away from the computer. Yeah, you know, I, it's I enjoy flipping pages. Like, there's a certain process to it. I enjoy sitting down and just, like, you know, I do a lot of my reading on the bus because I go back and forth from school, which is a good 45-minute bus ride. So, yeah. 
you know, that's yeah. where I get it done. Well, I guess maybe the, and I'm not, you know, I'm not sure it's there yet, but I guess someone's going to find a way to write a comic that just is, reads better yeah. online. And I don't, I'm not sure what that is yet, but yeah. at some point someone's going to make something where you're like, oh, this is much more enjoyable reading it online as opposed to just sort of like, I mean, some people obviously like it, but, you know, I I think, I think uh, comics fans tend to be sort of, uh, you know, into books. <laughs> well, I think for me, a big thing that really bothers me about online stuff is that they creators limit themselves as far as what they're doing with the story. Okay. And you're not really looking at a story developing for the most part of the online stuff. I see either gag strips, and that's fine. You know, you want to do a gag strip, do a gag strip. Okay. But I want to see a story develop, and I think that shows a strength in a creator if they can work on a story and develop a story. It doesn't have to be incredible, but, like, I want to know that there's a continuous, and that's why, like, something like Dash Saw, I mean, his what he did was a story that he put online, yeah. and, and he worked with that medium, and that's... I've heard about that, because it's all vertical, like, it works vertically, yeah, and it's specifically, you know, like, not worrying about page turns. Exactly, and he set it out to work within an aspect, but as far as, like... So did you enjoy reading that one online? I, di I did. I would prefer to read it in a book. Okay, even the effort that he went to wasn't quite enough. Maybe <laughs> you drag your computer with you onto the, onto the bus. Are, are you giving me shit? No, I'm not. I'm asking. Because <laughs> no. I don't really love it, but I just feel like, you know, I'd be better served to explore it and try to see how I can make it work for myself. No, like, I, I did read it online, and I enjoyed it. Um, and I, when it is printed, um, I hope it's printed in the appropriate way. Yeah, I think I had uh, read it, that they are going to be doing it in a special way. Yeah, and so it's got to work to what the artist intends. And actually, kind of, I like that about the Dracomax stuff, because I didn't feel like I was reading... Like, I know you're putting up a page a week, and that's your process as far as getting them up, yeah, but I didn't feel like I was reading, like, each page is a week. There, there's a reason they're separated, you know. And it's like I just felt like, you know, I went and sat down and I read them all, and they flowed. It wasn't like, you know, reading an old um, Milton Caniff strip or something. It was, you know. Well, that's good. I mean, because I, I had posted, Freddie and Me material online, um, especially while I was trying to find a publisher for it. And so it was, it's, I think it works very well in terms of just exposure because mm -hmm. putting it up online, it got you know through. It, I I feel like actually putting it online is how it ended up where it ended up um, at a publisher just just through a series of events um, that you know um, just in terms of like one thing got me noticed, which got something else, something else, etc. But it's what didn't really work that well as an online comic like uh, to be specifically put up there it's black and white it's very dense and you know it's specific you know i wrote it to be read uh you know with those page turns and stuff so i don't know i mean that's so that's exactly the opposite i mean i'm trying to deal with what i think some of those constraints with the jack and mac stuff but i also hope that i get published at some point too so <laughs> i'll post yeah. that you, you hear that publishers <laughs> let's just see it on paper well let's talk a little bit about freddie and me um we'll, we'll get away from me going on too many more diatribes. Um, About the things you hate in comics. Uh, things. The things they're doing wrong. Kids these days, I tell you. Yeah. yeah. You know? I, I, yeah, I'm going to stop myself. I'm going to start it again. <laughs> uh... <laughs>
So, Freddie and me, um, that was your first stab at like doing a, a larger body of work, I guess. Yeah. And what attracted you towards your life story? Well, so I, I enjoy autobiographical comics. Mm. When I got, when I had my eyes opened to a world beyond what I knew of Marvel and DC. Um, I did what I think a lot of people probably do. You know, sort of devour all anything alternative you can get your your hands on and take trips to the my first you know things like SPXs and the ape convention stuff like that and you know just buy up all the mini comics I could get and I really found that I had a strong attraction to autobio comics um, Joe Matt probably being his his book The Poor Bastard probably being like one of my favorites in that whole um, genre of comics I get I don't know Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big fan of it. I, and I, I, I'm not every. I don't. At this point, I, I'm a little bit pickier about it. Um, there's some, there's some autobiography that I don't care for as much. I, I see specific problems with some of it. Um, but I really liked it, and I was writing um, self-publishing comics around uh, 2002, 2003. Um, I was doing it as I think I mentioned, uh, doing a humor series. Um, and I wanted to just write what I thought at the time would be a short, uh, kind of jokey um, autobio story, because I think that that argument that gets trotted out every now and then about, like, you know, oh, you shouldn't write an autobio story if you, you know, specifically don't have the events in your life that warrant such a thing. Like, I, um, I don't know, like growing up in Iran and as to follow the shot and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I kind of, you know, I thought it was funny to take something that was so the opposite of that, which is and so universal and mundane, which is just the fact that I like a band. Because <laughs> um, I felt like I might not be the only person who likes a band. Um, I think and I thought right. I would do like a short story, um, call it Freddie and Me, and it would be maybe 80 to 100 pages long. Um, but I don't know, clearly I just sort of got more and more into it as I worked on it. And cause I didn't really set out to to write a big autobiographical story and have that be like I guess my first book but uh, I, I really enjoyed it so I <laughs> I'll be <laughs> honest you know I, I've said I'm not a big Queen fan and I think that's fine I yeah. I actually like sat down and I read it like I didn't really stop I devoured it no, you didn't stop to just be like oh I hate this band <laughs> <laughs> throw the book at my I can't read this anymore well, uh, the cartoonist uh, Nick Abadzis yeah. I, I know you interviewed him a while back. Uh, he did the the quote on the back of the book on the Bloomsbury version. Yeah. And it's basically just, that's the sentiment he expressed. That, <laughs> you know, even if you don't like this band. Because <laughs> <laughs> I felt... It's good for me because I feel like that might have tripped me up a little bit with readers. No, I felt it It wasn't about the band, but more about the, the band's effect on you and kind of how that's reflected in your life. 
And I, I really disagree with um, people that think you have to do something incredible or be have an incredible experience to do a comic. Because, honestly, um, one of my favorite autobiocomics is uh, Chester Brown's I Never Liked You, yeah. which is, like, the most... Like, I'm sorry, it's... What what happens in that? Well, he likes the girl with the big breasts. Okay. And they hide in the woods. No, they hide in the grass. <laughs> and he won't curse. No, I agree with you. I love like that. Along with Joe Matt was another, you know, cartoonist that I was hugely into. Yeah, I I think I think the important to me the important thing about Autobio is not that it has to be spectacular, but just that it's honest, and it's a story that you want to tell less than the story that you think other people want to hear? Um, I mean, yeah, I guess I, I, I would agree. I have vested interest in agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> but I would agree. But I also think, you know, like, I just don't think it I think it's just essentially how you were telling it. Because yeah. Mouse is a great book. Yeah. It is a fantastic, fantastic graphic novel. And so that's an example of, you know, there being significance just beyond, you know, just the, him recounting events. You know, he really does have so much, you know, so much to learn from that book. Um, but it's not like it has to be just that. No. Um, but, yeah. you know, I don't love, as I said, I don't love all autobio. Um, um, well, my, f- you know, it's... But I also do think, I mean, you must have heard this argument trotted out every now and then. Oh, it's all just navel-gazing, blah, blah, blah. But I think when you you start listing what are considered some of the, you know, the better books in our little field, Yeah. you know, especially the ones that really sort of hit it big... You know, a lot of them sort of end up being memoirs and autobiographies. Yeah. People just actually like it. And, and I also have, I've also, sorry, I keep cutting you off. No, well, don't go ahead. <laughs> but I also, I also think that comics is a medium that also just lends itself very well to telling those types of stories. That especially when it's the uh, the individual cartoonist, you know, because it's very personal. It's a very personal connection. Um, between the person drawing it and the person reading it, I feel like um, you know there's not a lot of uh, barriers between the image that the cartoonist is picturing in his head and what he draws and then what you see. So I think it's it can give you good access to like you know really try to get across something that you know personal. Well, I think and that's the whole thing is autobio comics give you that personal connection where an autobio novel, say, something by Bukowski, by Kerouac, you don't have that same personal connection. You, you're in your head imagining what they're looking like, imagine what they're going through. Yeah. And so y- you don't see exactly what's going on. You're not seeing just a brown bent over the chair. Or um, that kind of stuff. And so autobio novels, people automatically assume you know, it's just so like that person and it's you, you connect it with the figure, and I think that could be a problem sometimes. But really, there's not a big difference between that and a lot of literature. Okay. And I think, you know, and... I, I mean, I think, because I, I do think, I do, I mean, obviously, and you probably think this too, that it works just as well. I mean, no, it works well in other in other forms. I'm just sort of trying to say that I think that comics just does it especially well. Yeah. Not like it, you know, you can make movies that you know, represent a personal vision, but you do have some barriers in between, a lot more hands involved, a lot more, you know, loss of that immediacy just in through having to recreate something in real life, film it and translate kind of. Well, and one thing that people don't realize is a lot of comics that you're reading are more autobio than you expect. Probably. Like Jimmy Corrigan, 
there's a lot of his personal life in that. Um, something completely different is Brandon Graham's comics. Once you start to get to know him and who his friends are, this is his life. It's just oh, really? crazy. <laughs> you know, it's not his life, but it is. Like, all the characters are his friends, and everyone kind of has a role in there, and it's just mixed in with his otherworldly insights of sci-fi fabulousness. I'm not sure who... I'm not sure I know who he is. He's part of the Beat House Collective. He did a book for Tokyo Pop called King City. Okay. And I, multiple I think Warheads. I know the Meat House thing. Did he have a Zurich book? No, I don't oh. think he ever got a Zurich grant. Um, but, I mean, it's like... It's very European-influenced. I mean, he's a huge Mobius fan. But, I mean, that's someone who you look at their stuff and you don't really realize it until you get to, you know, you get to know them and then you see, like, how that is working within their work. <laughs> and also, like, when uh, Astros Pollock comes out, people are going to see that, you know, there's all the... This isn't about Dave Manzicelli, but there's all these stand-ins for Dave Manzicelli. Okay, yeah. So. I mean, I hope that what I'm saying doesn't come off like I'm being defensive about those criticisms. Especially no. when I talk about, oh, now I'm doing something with plot. <laughs> you know, to show them all. It's really like I personally just like, as I said, like I fell into writing this Freddie and me, and now I'm trying to write something else, um, and I'm just trying a different approach to it. Um, I, I'm worried now that it just sounds like I'm like someone said that I suck, so I'm going to show them. <laughs> no, I don't get that feeling. Yeah. Here's all my theories about why Freddie and me is better. Y- and, you can and, do uh, your uh, Ditko-esque essays on why. Uh, Autobio will take over the world or something. <laughs> uh, the balance of good and evil in Autobio. Because in general, I got mostly positive feedback. Yeah. Um, on, and, and I was much more nervous about the type of feedback I would get on Freddie and me. But uh, I, for the most part, like it was very, very positive. Now, are you going to revisit that style of, or genre, I should say? Or do you feel like that's the story you needed to tell and it's told? Um, I feel like uh, that I may go back to it um, eventually. I have different stories I want to tell right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's something in there uh, for, that I could write. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. I feel like there's definitely more further thing further that I could go. I may lose the Queen thing, but <laughs> to, to go further with an autobiographical thing... Um, I, wa- I just want to write something called Me and Freddie and Me. <laughs> so I'm going to go to all that bother and spend all those years doing it just so I can have that clever title. Yeah. But, no, but I mean, uh, seriously, I, I do. That is something I probably I do think about doing, but, you know, I also am interested in not just writing autobiography. Yeah. So the main thing you have coming out for the next while is Jack and Max. Anything else we'll see you in? I'm going to have a story in the... I, I hope you don't mind me mentioning no, them on the ahead. show, but the Indie Spinner Rack guys yeah. have that anthology. Those kids do. out of New York? Yeah, there's one. <laughs> awesome um, or two? Awesome, awesome or two? Awesome yeah, two. I didn't, well, in that, um, I had started a new graphic novel right immediately after I finished Ready and Me, because uh, I guess I just didn't want to waste time. Yeah. Because, I, I don't know, I guess I'm, I was just paranoid, paranoid about, you know, uh, Becoming Chester or becoming Joe Matt and disappearing into. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess not even that. I, just, I guess I just want to keep keep moving forward, like um, writing new material. Mm-hmm. Um, I may, I, I think that may have not been the best thing because I probably could have taken a bit of a break. 
but I did write, I went ahead and wrote like 30, 40 pages of a new story that I kind of ultimately decided wasn't working. Um, but, but the one good part of it, um, they've agreed to publish in part of that, uh, that awesome two anthology. Awesomer. Awesomer, yeah. So the, the one decent part. <laughs> <laughs> I was really happy with the drawings. I really feel like it was a shame, but I felt like the uh, writing, like I just was very heavy handed and, and I just, I think I need to re- restart it. How long did uh, Freddie and Me take? Um, I worked on it for. I started in 2004, and then I finished it. Uh, yeah, I guess it took about four years. Okay. Because um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have to go to work. I have family and stuff to take care of. So what's your What's your day job? What do you do to balance out the comics? Uh, at the moment, I'm quite lucky in that I I've, I've got a day job uh, the, where I'm actually getting to do. Uh, use my drawing and illustrating skills um i but i my career like i I also have a background in like web production and stuff like that okay um which i'm doing uh, this company as well it's uh it's it's a good situation for me right now Um, i get nervous because i feel like someone at work might listen to me (laughs) (laughs) but i really hate it there i love it there (laughs) really great place um but yes, I've always had a day job. So I mean, I kind of feel like I, I need to have the freedom to, just. And I think probably many cartoonists feel this way because it's been an industry where people weren't making any money. That it's more important to be writing the comics that you want to write. Yeah. Um, because you're not gonna make any money anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've always felt strongly like a good, solid day job, really actually liberates you, even though it takes up you know many hours of your day. Because um, the times that I've tried to go freelance has really been a been a rough patch. It's a really hard thing to do, and it yeah. doesn't work out well for a lot of people. No, no okay. it's especially in these troubled times. Well, this, yeah, this these times is probably worse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but even in those boom times, it was you know it's not easy. I mean, magazine illustration, I feel, is becoming a smaller and smaller little field to get in on. It and, is. Uh, and, you know, it's the work's going to go for the folks that have already been doing it. Yeah. Realistically, you know, so. Someone's got to make a living off it, so good for them. They can keep working. Good for you. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I've always been just drawing in, at night and and stuff like that. Now, did you, ta- did you do any art schooling before getting into comics, or is this just kind of... I went to school for painting. For painting. Oh, okay. Um, I have a, yeah, I have a BFA from the State School of New Jersey. Um, for painting, um, which I kind of wish now that I'd put a little bit more thought into going to school. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, being that I'm an immigrant, my and had come from a background where nobody had been to college before. Um, me and my siblings were the were the first to to go to college. So the downside to that was I didn't really know much about looking for colleges or you know what use college was. So I just sort of chose one place, and I went there, and I had a good time. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not a painter now, so maybe I <laughs> maybe I could have gone somewhere else, sort of that might have been more in line with my interests. Um, because you know, I wanted to be a cartoonist, and I just basically had to draw, do paintings of cartoons mm-hmm. for my whole four years while I was there. <laughs> Here's a painting of Ace Face. Here's a painting. <laughs> yeah, Here's my other characters. Well, I, actually, uh, we were talking a little earlier. I just read Jeffrey Brown's Funny Misshapen Body. Yeah. 
um, which, as I said, was I really, really enjoyed. And there's, there's a part of it I really related to because he talks about how he was in school, and I think his his story is fairly well known that he he was at some school in Chicago and he famously dropped out or not maybe didn't drop out whatever he decided to do his comics. Yeah, he was he, he was in the master's program. But he's, there's one scene where he's showing his comics to his professors and they just don't know what to do with him. Yep. Um, and they're making like attempts to give him positive feedback, like, well, there's some like uh, you know a texture in the in the drawings of the floor in this one panel. Maybe you could do something with that. <laughs> and I have like almost the exact same thing happen to me. I showed some some comics I self-published to my teacher, and he had no idea what to do with it. He's like, oh, this is maybe make a sculpture of this panel, or <laughs> 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 well, that's not really what I want to do. <laughs> I don't want to make a sculpture. I want to be a cartoonist, but <laughs> you know. but I guess. It was a liberal arts school, so I got to go through my whole uh, lefty, uh, sensitive PC phase. Just which, which I guess is good. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe that was just the nineties, though. <laughs> now you're all uh, fascist and right wing. No, but I, I definitely feel. I definitely think back on my uh, my college years where I spent my entire four years ago. God, this is offensive. This is offensive to women. Blah, you know. <laughs> And that's Mike Dawson. Check out his book from Ad House, Ace Face. Um, and don't pronounce it how I would. And, uh, yeah, up next, uh, interview with Jaime Hernandez. Jimmy's 